Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report's Lost Episode for Thursday, January 27th, 2022, which went unbroadcasted due to technical difficulties. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Here were some of our clean energy climate headlines. Solar power will account for nearly half of new U.S. electric generating capacity added this year in 2022, according to the Energy Information Administration. Solar will account for 46% of new utility power added this year, and most of those planned solar additions for 2022 will be in Texas, followed by California. Natural gas will be in second place for added electricity this year. 21% of capacity will be natural gas. In 2022, enough new natural gas-fired capacity will come online equal to less than half of the amount of solar added this year. However, 90% of the planned natural gas capacity is going to be added this year in four states, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, and Florida. Then wind is in third place. Last year in 2021, a record high amount of wind capacity came online in the United States. However, this year, less than half of that is scheduled to come online. And the majority, just barely, 51% of new wind capacity added this year will be in Texas. Texas is the number one adder for both solar and wind this year. And then battery storage. We expect utility-scale U.S. battery storage capacity to grow by 84% this year. Several factors have helped expand utility-scale U.S. battery storage, including declining costs of battery storage, deploying it with renewable energy generation, and adding value through being able to trade power through regional transmission markets. And then bringing up the rear was nuclear power. About 5% of the country's planned electric capacity additions this year will come from two new reactors in Georgia. One of these reactors, Unit 3, was expected to come online last year, but true to nuclear power's form of usually being way over budget and extremely late, the unit's planned start date was delayed again until this year. Well, speaking of electricity, a global rise in electricity use may bring three more years of price volatility while coal rebounds. The global surge in demand for energy could spark another three years of market volatility and record power plant pollution unless countries make major changes to how they generate electricity, the world's energy watchdog has warned. Part of the UN, the International Energy Agency, recorded the steepest ever increase in electricity demand in history last year, which triggered blackouts in major economies and led to historic energy price highs and record emissions. The IEA's annual electricity report said that this could continue for another three years, with serious consequences for consumers and economies unless there is a faster structural change to the way electricity is produced. The International Energy Agency also predicted that global consumption of coal power, which is the world's single biggest source of climate emissions, would reach record levels in 2021, driven by a surge in demand for energy to kickstart global economies following the coronavirus pandemic. The IEA found that the surge in demand for electricity during last year 
outpaced the growth in low-carbon electricity sources, leading many economies to rely more heavily on fossil fuel power plants to make up the difference. China's coal production reached record levels last year as they encouraged miners to ramp up their fossil fuel output to safeguard the country's energy supplies through the winter gas crisis. Well, back here in America, if you think that only California has painful power bills and storm-related problems, let's head to Oklahoma with the winter gas bill from hell, as Oklahomans face paying almost $1.5 billion extra in utility bills retroactively for one snowstorm. Customers are being saddled with paying 600 times the usual price for energy as Oklahoma state regulators are accused of being too close to the industry they monitor. According to The Guardian, when Neil Crittenden heard that an extreme winter storm was about to hit Oklahoma last winter, he did what officials advised him to do and kept his heat on and water running so that his pipes wouldn't freeze. The 40-year-old Oklahoma City resident even used hair dryers to keep them thawed. What Crittenden didn't know at the time was that the energy he used was going to cost him significantly. As winter storm Uri swept across the south-central U.S. last February, utilities that weren't prepared scrambled. The storm caused blackouts in several states and resulted in the deaths of at least 223 people. Oklahoma's gas supply was in dire straits at the time, with demand surging and the cold freezing critical equipment, just like what happened in Texas. To keep the heat on, the state's biggest gas company, Oklahoma Natural Gas, made a last-minute decision. It purchased fuel from the wildly expensive spot market at nearly 600 times the normal price of electricity. Now, nearly a year later, officials in Oklahoma say that residents like Crittenden have to foot the entire $1.4 billion bill yet to be paid. The state's utility regulator, the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, is expected to approve the plan later this month. Crittenden said, imagine if you went to the gas station and filled up $50 of gas for your car based on the prices the sign says. And then two months later, you get told you actually have to engage in a payment plan to pay off 1,000 times that price. Well, instead of challenging the prices the utility and its customers were charged, Oklahoma is readying a plan to use what's called securitization, which works similar to a credit card to cover the debt. Basically, the state of Oklahoma will pay off the $1.4 billion plus interest by charging all of Oklahoma's electric customers as much as $8 a month for the next 25 years. Well, now let's switch to solar and batteries, which continue to take over powering the planet. A solar noise barrier is being planned along a highway in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Department of Transportation is launching a highway solar noise barrier project, which it says is the first of its kind in the Western Hemisphere. It will be located on the north side of the highway along a noise barrier wall and will extend for 3,000 feet. 
It'll be 20 feet tall and will be made of reinforced concrete, and the solar system capacity is expected to be between six and 700,000 watts of power, with the equivalent of being able to supply 120 homes per year with electricity. Mass DOT plans to use the results of this pilot, including information about noise, maintenance, cost, and community perception, to determine the feasibility of similar applications elsewhere. Well, overseas, South Korea's largest solar plant has gone online. A 150 million watt solar plant that was partly backed by crowdfunding among local residents. The facility is located on an abandoned salt evaporation pond and is currently South Korea's largest operational solar park. We don't oftentimes hear about the steps being taken for renewable energy and decarbonization in batteries around the world, so these are just nuggets to be aware of. Because also in the Philippines, they've deployed the first utility-scale battery for grid stabilization. The power-related arm of the Philippines-based giant conglomerate, the San Miguel Corporation, that's involved from brewing to energy, is moving on its ambitious plan to deploy 1 billion watts of batteries this year in the Philippines alone. The first phase of a 20 million watt battery is the first utility scale project controlled by a grid operator in the Philippines. Back in the U.S., the Department of Energy has announced initiatives and support to rapidly accelerate community solar deployment. At the National Community Solar Partnership Summit, the DOE laid out plans to try to help meet the Biden administration's goal of powering 5 million homes with community solar by the year 2025. Nearly three-fourths of the U.S. market for community solar is concentrated in four states, none of which is California. The four states that make up 75% of America's community solar market are Florida, Massachusetts, Minnesota, and New York. Although 22 states and Washington, D.C. have state policies that support community solar deployment. And closer to home, here in California, the seven members of California Community Power, it's a group of community power agencies for the Bay Area, has voted to move forward with installing a 69 million watt battery in Kern County to come online in 2026. So just know, lots of batteries and lots of solar are being installed all over the world and here in California as well. Speaking of California, Generac, the generator company that's turning into a whole house power system provider, plans to participate in virtual power plant service for a California utility. Southern California Edison entered into an agreement with Generac to recruit and enroll solar and battery storage owners to participate in the program. It will pay homeowners for exporting stored solar energy out of their batteries back to the grid during what are called peak demand hours. Said the president of Generac Grid Services, with increasing frequency, homeowners are installing solar plus battery storage systems to protect against power outages caused by factors like extreme weather or wildfires. This program lets homeowners gain further benefit from these systems by orchestrating their collective energy flexibility into what's called a virtual power plant. 
that directs power from where it's available in solar systems, batteries, and homes and other properties, deploying it to where it's needed onto the grid precisely when it is needed most. Their special software detects spikes in utility demand that might otherwise require the activation of a fossil fuel power plant and instead signals batteries to automatically dispatch clean energy based on real-time grid conditions and paying the homeowners for doing so. Let's move to international climate news headlines, as much of the action and research is taking place elsewhere around the world. How do we make the move to electric cars happen? Ask Norway, writes John Naughton in The Guardian. He says two-thirds of all new cars bought by Norwegians last year were electric. Turns out you just need government with a clue. Well, the best place to look for answers is Norway, the one country that has been through the tipping point. Ten years ago, diesel cars accounted for 75% of new sales there. Today, they make up just 2%. Two-thirds of all new cars sold there in 2021 were EVs, and the predictions are that proportion will reach 80% this year. Ye old internal combustion engine seems destined for extinction in that particular part of the frozen north. How did Norway do it? Partly through luck. It's a small country, just over one-tenth the population of California, which has abundant supplies of hydroelectric energy and, ironically, massive fossil fuel reserves. The income from which is placed in a sovereign wealth fund and can be invested in all kinds of better ideas than burning fossil fuels. The second factor was public opinion. People have been campaigning for EVs in Norway since the 1990s, but the third and most significant factor was government action. Norway, like all the Scandinavian democracies, taxes imported cars at a high rate and has hefty vehicle registration fees. Well, both were waived for EVs. Then highway toll charges were removed for EVs in 1997. City parking all across Norway was made free for any EV in 1999, and access to bus lanes for EVs was granted in 2005. The country installed 16,000 public charging stations, including more than 3,000 fast chargers, so that in the end, if you were a Norwegian contemplating buying a new car, going electric became a no-brainer. No import taxes, no registration fees, no highway tolls, no parking fees, and you can drive in the bus lanes. And now, Norway is well on its way to being an EV-only society as soon as 2025. Now let's head to Europe and the UK. A global center of public climate awareness and personal action where the right to repair movement has resulted in waves of government action, yet mostly stayed under the radar of U.S. voters and party platforms. Last year, new laws were passed in the U.K. around the right to repair, meaning spare parts must now be made available for a number of household items, including washing machines and TVs. And these parts must stay available for up to 10 years. From fancy toys to smartphones, when technology breaks, it often seems simplest to throw it away for a new model. 
But now experts are hoping to challenge the status quo, launching a citizen science project to explore attitudes to repair and pinpoint parts of the UK where this mending mindset is thriving. It's called the Big Repair Project, and it comes in the wake of campaigns to reduce the vast quantities of electrical and electronic waste produced each year, as well as reduce the environmental impact of new products by ensuring that consumers can fix broken or damaged existing products, a rarity in the consumer world. Said Professor Mark Miodonik of University College London, who's leading the project, it got to the point where most products ended up being put onto the market with no real viable route to repair. Meanwhile, companies including Microsoft and Apple have recently announced their own moves to allow consumers to repair their own tech. Said Miodonik, it's clear that the writing's on the wall that actually from an environmental perspective and from a market perspective, this is the direction of travel. And in new research out of the UK, Britain could grow up to eight times its current production of fruit and vegetables if all urban and underused green space were turned to cultivation, new research has shown. This research, of course, can be translated to virtually any country. It says that only about 1% of urban green space in the UK is made up of community gardens. But if home gardens were used, along with parks, playing fields, water sides, and often overlooked open spaces, the area would add up to enough to grow nearly 40% of the UK's fresh fruit and vegetable consumption, most of which comes from overseas, according to the study. While researchers were not seriously suggesting plowing up parks and recreation areas, the first nationwide study of urban growing potential by Lancaster University demonstrated just how much potential lies in areas that are often undervalued and overlooked. Using just a fraction of the nation's scraps of urban greenland for communal growing could provide a useful amount of fresh fruit and vegetables that would improve people's diets help vulnerable people, and reduce carbon dioxide emissions. Meanwhile, in continent-wide research, better air during the coronavirus lockdown may have saved hundreds of lives in Europe, according to a study. London and Paris were among the cities with the highest number of avoided deaths, thanks to lower pollution in the first lockdown. Measures brought in to stem the rise in infections resulted in far fewer cars and trucks being driven on the roads, which had the biggest impact on reducing deaths via reduced fossil fuel emissions, according to the study. However, at the same time, looking at airplanes in Europe, at least 100,000 what are called ghost flights could be flown across Europe just this winter because of EU airport slot usage rules, according to an analysis by Greenpeace. The deserted, unnecessary, or unprofitable flights are intended to allow airlines to keep their takeoff and landing runway rights at major airports. But they could also generate more than 2 million tons of additional unnecessary greenhouse gas emissions, or as much as 1.5 million average gas cars emit in a year, Greenpeace says. 
According to the spokesperson for Greenpeace's European Mobility for All campaign, the EU Commission requiring airlines to fly empty planes to meet an arbitrary quota is not only polluting, but extremely hypocritical given their climate rhetoric. The CEO of Lufthansa, Karsten Spohr, said that his airline alone may have to fly 18,000 extra unnecessary flights to fulfill the adjusted rules. And he called for the sort of climate-friendly exemptions used in other parts of the world. Lastly, in international news, rising temperatures caused by the escalating climate crisis mean future Winter Olympics will struggle to find host cities with enough snow and ice, according to a study. As a matter of fact, when they looked backwards, only one out of 21 previous Winter Olympics locations would be able to reliably host the Games in the future if global greenhouse gas emissions remain on their current trajectory, the report says. The findings, which come as the world's top winter sports athletes prepare to compete on artificial snow at the Beijing Games, shows that cities such as Vancouver, Turin, and Pyeongchang may become unsuitable locations for the Winter Olympics by the end of the century, with global warming leading to increasingly unsafe and unfair competition conditions. In other global climate news, plants are at risk of extinction as the climate crisis disrupts animal migration, with heating and habitat loss driving birds and animals to cooler areas where plants cannot follow, according to a study. The decline of seed-dispersing animals is damaging plants' ability to adapt to climate breakdown. Almost half of all plant species depend on animals to spread their seeds. But scientists fear these plants may be at risk of extinction when animals are driven to migrate to cooler areas and plants cannot easily follow as fast. Researchers used machine learning from more than 400 seed dispersal networks worldwide to examine what would happen when animals left areas affected by global warming. They found that these plants' capacity to adapt to climate change has already dropped by 60% globally. The researchers warned this may lead to the permanent loss of some species. The research examined how crucial seed dispersal is for the survival of plants. Plants, by definition, stay put. So they've always relied on animals for seed and pollen transport. The report also offered solutions including that more space should be given to habitats that are useful for plants and biodiversity in order to restore the plant community. Closer to home, but still on a global level, according to the NASA chief, bold climate action is needed to safeguard humanity. And NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, just four weeks ago, when releasing the climate statistics for 2021, said, science leaves no room for doubt. Climate change is the existential threat of our time. They looked at all other years going back more than a century. And NASA's temperature record shows that Earth last year in 2021 is already about 1.1 to 1.2 degrees Celsius warmer than the start of the Industrial Revolution and continues to head upward. So keep that in mind as the bottom end of the Paris Agreement and science says that we should not go above 1.5. NASA confirmed that last year we're already 
above 1.1 heading to 1.2. Well, what can you do? We're going to revisit food responsible for 37% of global emissions. As food swaps can radically change a diet's carbon footprint, food swapping one type of protein for another. Americans who eat beef could slash their diet's carbon footprint as much as 48% by swapping just one serving a day for a more planet-friendly alternative, finds a new study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Food substitution does the trick. Researchers from Tulane University School of Public Health and the University of Michigan have found According to lead author Diego Rose, a professor of nutrition and food security at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, quote, people can make a significant difference in their carbon footprint with very simple changes. And the easiest one would be to substitute poultry for beef. If only 20% of Americans who eat beef in a day switch to something else for one meal, That would reduce the overall carbon footprint of all U.S. diets by 10%. That's if only 20% of Americans who eat beef every day, not all of them, just 20% of daily beef eaters in America just switch to something else for one meal. All Americans' diets have a carbon footprint reduced by 10%. Water use impacts are reduced by 6%, according to the study. They use data from a survey of what more than 16,000 Americans eat in an average day. The scientists calculated how much of a difference people could make if they swapped one high-impact food item for similar, more sustainable options. The highest-impact item in Americans' diet is beef. And 20% of survey respondents ate at least one serving of beef a day. If they collectively swapped one serving of beef for poultry, for example, not needing to go vegetarian or vegan, just swapping down from beef to poultry, choosing ground turkey instead of ground beef, for example, their diet's greenhouse gas emissions fell by almost 50%, and water use impact declined by 30%. Just one meal switching poultry for beef. Although swapping beef had the greatest impact, The Tulane and Michigan researchers also measured the impact of changing other foods. For example, replacing a serving of shrimp with cod reduced greenhouse gas emissions by a third. Replacing dairy milk with soy milk resulted in almost a 10% reduction. And the greatest reduction in water scarcity footprints came from replacing asparagus with peas. And substituting peanuts for almonds also decreases the water footprint by a third. And then there's this fascinating new research that shows immediate change can happen without needing fancy technology or lots of money, just new menus. As restaurants try messages on menus to help diners order less meat. A new study finds that diners who read things like your small change can make a big difference on their menus chose a vegetarian dish 25% of the time. Simple changes to messages on restaurant menus can double the frequency of customers choosing plant-based options instead of meat. Research on the impact of food on the climate crisis has found. 
The production, transportation, and consumption of food has become an increasing focus for climate researchers, with a recent study finding that the food industry accounts for over a third of the world's total annual emissions. Much of the pollution is centered on meat. Raising cattle, chickens, and pigs for meat, a process that often involves clearing large tracts of forest, causes about double the emissions of plant-based foods. And meat consumption remains stubbornly high in the U.S. The average American gobbled down 264 pounds of meat in 2020, rapidly heading towards eating a pound of meat every day. Many people are receptive to the idea of switching to vegetarian options in order to help the environment, however. The research found, with messaging on restaurant menus, a potentially significant way of shifting behavior. Doesn't require new technology or political processes. It's just changing menus. A multi-stage experiment by the research nonprofit organization WRI, the World Resources Institute, involved about 6,000 people in the U.S. and their reactions to menu descriptions. Researchers tested responses to 10 different sustainability-themed messages when the participants were asked to choose between different options on a menu, such as a bean burrito or a beef burrito. Several of the messages produced dramatic results. For example, diners who read this, these three sentences, each of us can make a positive difference for the planet. Swapping just one meat dish for a plant-based one saves greenhouse gas emissions that are equivalent to the energy used to charge your phone for two years. Your small change can make a big difference. Diners who read that on their menus chose a vegetarian dish 25% of the time, more than double the rate of diners who were shown no message at all. Then another message that said, 90% of Americans are making the change to eat less meat. Join this growing movement and choose plant-based dishes that have less impact on the climate and are kinder to the planet. That message prompted 22% of people to opt for a plant-based dish. Again, far higher than the standard group who saw no message on the menu. Other messages about the taste of the food and the need to protect the planet for future generations also yielded positive results in choosing vegetarian meals, suggesting that consumers' choices can be significantly shaped by how menus are presented. Said Edwina Hughes, head of the Cool Food Pledge, an initiative by WRI in the United Nations, she said, we know behavioral science is critical. It really moves the needle. Themes of making a small change for a big impact and also around joining a movement, really boosted the plant-based options. Hughes said that Americans were ready for a nudge towards vegetarian options, likening such messages to hotels requesting their guests not demand their towels be replaced every day as a way to save water needed to wash them. She said, using descriptive messages that show the benefits of plant-based food choices can empower people to change their behavior and choose lower-carbon dishes. We can do this because people are primed and ready for this sort of messaging. They are receptive to seeing messages about the climate and are actively seeking out brands and logos that indicate climate-friendly products and services. WRI researchers said previous attempts to promote vegetarian options had fallen short 
because of poor wording. In the past, vegetarian dishes have functionally been named, such as vegetarian lasagna or meat-free sausages. As compared with more enticing meat food nomenclature, such as grass-fed beef or butter-fried chicken. And finally, in good news close to home, the California monarch butterflies have returned, and their population census showed the highest numbers in the past five years, although still at just a fraction of historical levels, which is an encouraging sign of slow but steady progress. Well, we close with the Los Angeles City Council voting to ban new urban oil and gas drilling in historic move. The ordinance will also look at how to decommission existing wells operating across the city. Though better known as the homeland of Hollywood, Los Angeles was built on oil. More than 5,200 oil and gas wells sprawl across the city of L.A., making it one of the largest urban oil fields in the country. But last month, Los Angeles City Council voted unanimously to phase out drilling in the city everywhere, a move environmental justice advocates have been working toward for years. The city will now move forward with drafting an ordinance to ban new drilling and and evaluate how to shut down operating wells across the city. Officials will also initiate an analysis of the economic and job impacts and how to transition oil industry workers to clean energy jobs. In order to decommission existing oil operations, a study must be done on how oil companies can still make back their investment if they hadn't already done so. Studies show that tens of thousands of people live near LA's oil and gas drilling sites and close to 73% were people of color. Well, that's all for the January 27th Phantom Climate Report that never made it to the airwaves. We're proud to bring it to you here as an audio podcast on kvmr.org. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For daily news headlines in between broadcasts, including heaps of good news and climate tips, there is a Climate Report social media page. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org.